Hi, I'm Levi from WCF. Before we get into this episode of Faith Foundations, I wanted to take a quick minute to introduce a few other podcasts in the WCF Podcast Network. I am a co-host on a show called A Little Faith, where we explore faith breakdowns and buildups with different people who have very powerful stories to tell. Sam Taylor from Cleveland, Ohio, produces weekly devotionals in Pause to Consider. Think Mr. Rogers meets Fireside Chat. I love Sam's humble style, and I think every episode is fantastic. You can find both of those wherever you get your podcasts or on our website at wcfoundation.org slash podcasts. Also, did you know that WCF sponsors thousands of meals a month for children in India who are unable to afford any food? Please visit wcfoundation.org for more info and donate if you can. Now, here's the show. The topic of my talk is making an agreement with God. Such an idea may seem incredible to you, but I think you'll find that there's a great deal to it from a biblical point of view. Almost anything important that we do in this life is done by contract agreement or covenant. I, Joe, in consideration of Pete's lending me $50,000, do agree to make repayment to Pete as follows. Or I, George, agree to purchase a new Chevrolet motor vehicle. Or I, Joan, covenant to marry, Steve, etc. Almost every time we sign our name on the dotted line at the bottom of a piece of paper, we're making a contract or covenant. Why a contract? There are many advantages. A contract is clear and definite. A formal contract permits real thought to be given to a transaction, each party understanding its implications. Finally, covenants usually have legal status in our society, and in the event of disagreement or non-performance, there is recourse in the courts. Should it surprise us that in God's dealings with man, covenants assume considerable importance? When Noah came out of the ark, God made a covenant with him that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood. And as a sign of that covenant, he set the rainbow in the heavens. God made an agreement with Abraham that he would give him and his descendants the land of Israel for an everlasting possession. God made a covenant with King David that one of his descendants would establish the throne of David's kingdom forever. It's apparent that God has often dealt with man on the basis of solemn agreements. Therefore, it shouldn't surprise us that he's dealing with mankind now on the basis of agreement. The Bible is divided into two sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Those words merely mean Old Covenant or Old Agreement and New Covenant or New Agreement. The New Testament records God's dealings with men from the time of Jesus. This is the agreement that I want to discuss with you today. In a nutshell, it's possible to make an agreement with God whereby God will rescue us from the power of death and give us everlasting life. That agreement is made through baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. In baptism, a man comes to God, acknowledges his state of sin, pledges to live a faithful life, and through God's merciful provision is rescued from death to life. The significance of baptism is best understood by reading the sixth chapter of the book of Romans, a letter the Apostle Paul wrote, quote, 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. For if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Paul is saying that those who have been baptized into Christ have been in a sense buried in water a symbolic figure which corresponds to being dead and buried with Jesus. If we have been buried with Jesus, we are considered to have been raised with Jesus. As Jesus escaped from the power of death by the resurrection, so those in Christ will be raised from the dead at the time of the resurrection of the dead. Paul is obviously talking about baptism by immersion in water. Otherwise, the symbol would not be correct. The sprinkling of infants with water is not what is represented here. Why is baptism required? The need comes from the fact that we are dying creatures. We are under the condemnation of death as a result of Adam's and our own sin. The human race is in that condition. If you want to establish that for yourself, Read three or four chapters of the book of Romans preceding the quotation we read from Romans 6. Man is under condemnation to death. God has provided the way whereby that death sentence may be fulfilled. It is fulfilled by a ritual death. That is, by our identifying with the death of Jesus and being symbolically buried with Jesus in his death so that we can rise like Jesus in the resurrection of the dead. I want to make a number of points about the significance of that design. Number one, baptism is described by Peter as the answer of a good conscience towards God. Baptism is a response of a godly man repenting of sin and coming to God, seeking the escape which has been provided through Jesus. Two, Baptism thereby constitutes an agreement. It is a formal entry into an agreement with God, whereby God, on the one hand, gives everlasting life, and we, on the other hand, promise to be faithful. It has a legal status in God's sight. 3. In baptism, we have made a covenant through Jesus. Any baptism is not good enough. We must be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. The symbol of baptism is the symbol of burial in his death and being raised in his resurrection. We are thereby united with Jesus by a solemn agreement. 4. We thereby become a new person. That is, we become a new person in God's sight. We are no longer members of a dying race. We are members of a living race that has been remade in the merits of Jesus. 5. Being a new person is another way of saying that we have forgiveness of sin. We have, as the Bible says, forgiveness of sins through his name. 
It is in the name of Jesus, in whom we have been renamed, that provides us with the escape from death and the new status of life in Christ Jesus. 6. We are now truly children of God. As new creatures, we have been sort of reborn into a new family, the family of God, and we are children of God and brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. 7. We become heirs of the promises of faith which were made to people like Abraham and David. Just as Abraham was promised the land of Israel forever, so we, according to the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, become heirs of Abraham and of his promise. He says that as many of us as have been baptized into Jesus Christ have put on Christ, and thereby we become heirs of the promises made to Abraham, heirs which involve everlasting life. 8. The covenant of baptism is eternal, an everlasting covenant as described in the Bible. The promise to Abraham was not a promise which was to be forgotten. All of the promises of God will be fulfilled. Therefore, if we be heirs of these promises, then we have been introduced into an everlasting and unchangeable covenant. One of the last things which Jesus said to his disciples as recorded in the last chapter of the Gospel of Mark, is that they should go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He said that those who believe and are baptized will be saved. This commission of baptism was therefore crucial. I said at the outset that there are several advantages about an agreement. The covenant of baptism is clear and explicit. A true understanding of the reason for baptism involves an understanding of the state of man as doomed to death and the need for taking on the name of another who will give life, the name of Jesus Christ. The promises of God are clearly outlined, so baptism as a step is a very clear step which requires the answer of a man to God's call for obedience. The second important aspect of a covenant is that it is likely to be undertaken only after serious thought. A covenant is a two-sided arrangement. What is our side? Let's give serious thought to our side of the covenant. Our side is essentially the same as that which was required of Abraham and other men of old. The requirement of faith. God requires us to be faithful to him. He expects us to believe him, to trust in him, and to commit our lives to him, and to endeavor to live according to our new position in Christ. The third advantage of a covenant is that it's legally binding. In this respect, we have the profound assurance that God has bound himself to an agreement. He promises that he will not go back on his word, that he will perform his promise to rescue us from death and to give us everlasting life. If we show the faith which is required on our part, he is more than faithful to fulfill his side of the agreement. A legality is involved. There is the necessity to enter into a covenant. There is also the necessity of both parties to fulfill their parts of the covenant. If we fulfill our side, 
we may be sure that God will more than fulfill His generous offer. In conclusion, we must make an agreement with God. We may be amazed that the Almighty God would condescend to man to make an agreement of any sort, but He has. He has opened up an offer of salvation through Jesus for those who will come to Him in faith. That offer is accepted through the ceremony of baptism. In baptism, we are buried with Christ in His death, and we thereby have the promise of being raised from the dead at the time of the great resurrection. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of His heavenly Father, so we have that promise. This agreement has legal standing. It is binding. It is everlasting. It will never be obsolete. Its benefits far exceed any contribution that we can make. However, what is expected on our side is faith. Can we demonstrate our faith, our faithfulness? Can we express our faith in the first place by making a covenant in baptism, joining our name to that of Christ, and so participating in a great and everlasting agreement?